Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Gary Kent. Have you ever got impatient when God doesn't answer your prayers the way you think He should? Sometimes things happen in our lives when uh, we feel that we know the best thing to happen. And so we pray to God to answer our prayers in the way that we think he should, he should act, that He should answer. And sometimes when He doesn't answer our prayers exactly as we envisaged, we get impatient. Sometimes we even get angry. If you've ever had an experience like that, you will relate to our Bible passage today. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark's Gospel. Mark, the fifth chapter. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 5. And we are going to start reading at verse 21. Now, if you don't have a Bible, never mind. You can follow with me on the text. So I'm going to share this passage. We're going to follow it through together. And then we are going to unpack it together. Let's start. Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you? And you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. 
only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and, and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And when, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Among all the stories of the ministry of Jesus, none is more beautiful than this one. It tells the story of two sorrowful individuals who found their way to Jesus and were comforted. And although they are two people, there are two people, it's actually one story. While Jesus was on his way to the house of Jairus, the woman came to him and from the viewpoint of Jairus, she hindered Jesus, she delayed Jesus, she called him, she caused him to wait. But from the standpoint of Jesus, she provided him an opportunity to help Jairus. And so, friends, picture the scene. It's early in the morning. Jesus is coming by boat. And before he even arrives, before he gets on shore, there's a huge crowd of people waiting, waiting for Jesus. And they're waiting expectantly because they're wondering, what is he going to say today? What are we going to see him do today? Imagine they just wanted to be near Jesus, to hear what he had to say and to see what he was going to do. And as Jesus steps on, on, onto, the, onto the shore, as he steps off the boat onto the shore, immediately surrounded by a massive crowd of people. All excited, all expected, all waiting. And then... Through that crowd, Jairus comes to Jesus. Now, he's a big deal. And so the people make way. They part, the crowd parts, and Jairus comes. He falls down before Jesus, and his first three words are, My little daughter. My little daughter. She's 12 years old. 12 years of sunshine in that home. Luke, who also tells a story, by the way, all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, they all tell this story. And Luke tells us that she was an only daughter. And then comes the pain, the heartache. As he says, my little daughter, she's at the point of death. She's dying. 
please come and help her. You are our last resort. We can feel the anguish that that fathers despair. Can we really see Jairus this afternoon? How many of us know and understand this, this parental love? You know, parental love, a father or a mother's love for their child has unique qualities. It's a love like no other. And we know what extent parents will go to care for their children. They'll do anything. It's a deeper love. It's a, it's a, it's a fuller love. It's a, it's a more far-reaching love than any other love. The Bible tells us next, it just says that Jesus went with him. When Jesus heard the plea of that father, he just said, let's go. Jesus went with him. And you can imagine Jairus as Jesus begins to follow him and, and there's a massive crowd there and, and Jairus is, is trying to get the people out of the way so Jesus can get to his daughter in time. He sets out to, to hurry Jesus through that crowd. Can you picture the scene? There's a massive crowd there and there's an emergency they had no sirens in those days. But Jesus is being led by Jairus and, and, and Jairus is trying to get the people out of the way and, and he's trying to get Jesus there as quickly as he can. And then Jesus waits, he stops. The woman had touched him. Can you imagine Jairus? Don't stop, please. She's at the point of death. If we don't get there in a hurry, it'll be too late. He's impatient. And then Jesus asked the question, who touched me? And remember the disciples? <laughs> what sort of a dumb question is that? They're incredulous. And I can imagine them thinking, the real question should be, who hasn't touched me? All these people are thronging you, Jesus. They're all touching you. And you asked, who touched you? I want you to consider this woman this afternoon. Because here is deep despair. She'd suffered with a flow of blood for 12 years. The old King James Version calls it an issue of blood. For 12 years she suffered. And the Bible tells us that she'd spent all her money, everything she had, and she was no worse off. So consider her predicament, my friend. Consider her deep despair. She's lost her health and she's lost all her money. Gone. She's in deep trouble. 
Women back in that age, there were, there were three great things in a woman's life. Her home, society, and her religion. That's what was important. But to understand her predicament, we need to go back to the Mosaic laws in the book of Leviticus chapter 15. And I'm going to read verse 19. Because friends, this is a woman in deep trouble. Huge problem. And to understand it, we've got to, we've got to read here from Leviticus. Notice what it says here. If a woman has a discharge, and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days, and whoever touches her shall be what? Shall be unclean until evening. Now notice, friends, as it goes on. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of a customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, listen to this. All the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be what? Unclean. How long has she had this flow of blood? Twelve years. Twelve years being categorized as unclean. What that means, my friends, is this, that according to Jewish law, everything she touches is unclean. If she sits on a chair, on a lounge, on a bed, on a bench, it's unclean. If she touches a table, it's unclean. Everything she touches. It's unclean. And even worse, every body she touches is unclean. She can't hug her children. She can't shake hands with anyone. And so the three central, the great things in a woman's life She's lost them all. She can no longer stay at home because everything she touches in that home, it's unclean. Her family can no longer stay with her. Imagine she can't embrace her husband or hug her children. Society, no one will come nearer. She can't go to church. And so she loses her home. She loses all her contacts in the community. And she loses her God. So consider a deep despair. She's already lost her health and her money and now she loses her home, her family. She loses her friends and she loses her church. And in her desperation, she comes to Jesus and she reaches out. I don't know how she did it because imagine how frail losing 
her lifeblood, as it were, for 12 years. Imagine how anemic and unwell she must have been. But somehow she found the strength and the drive and the motivation, and she must have fought her way through that crowd, and she touches the hem of his garment. Why the hem of his garment? Why the hem of his garment? Let me read to you from Matthew. And when the men of that place, talking about Jesus, recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick. So no matter, Jesus is coming to town. The leaders of the community here, and they send a message out far and wide, Jesus is coming, bring your sick. Bring your sick to town. Why? And begged him that they might only touch what? The hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were, made perfectly well. She'd heard the news. And she was going to touch the hem of his garment. Mark's gospel tells us whenever he entered into villages, cities or or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace and they begged him that they might just touch the border or the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. What was the significance about the hem, the border of the garment? Why was it important? Well, again, friends, we go back to the early books of Scripture. And I'm going to read from the book of Numbers. Listen to what Scripture tells us. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them and that you may remember and do my holy commandments and be holy for your God. And so the Jews had these garments or gowns They called it a talit. And the tassels were called zitzit. I'm sure there's another pronunciation, Barrent, wherever you are. But uh, that's how I pronounce it in English. All right? I'm sure the Hebrews had another pronunciation, but that's how you spell it. And they, they, they made these gowns that they wore, a cloak. And it had tassels on the hem of the garment. They were called tzitzit in fulfillment of this biblical commandment. And so what was the significance of the hem or the border or the tassel on the garment? Well, simply this, friends, it symbolized that tassel. It symbolized obedience. It symbolized holiness. It symbolized purity and righteousness. And this woman in her desperation, she reaches out and she touches the tassel. The hem, the border of his garment. And she's healed. (laughs) She's healed. She's cleansed. She's made whole. 
This woman who has been suffering unbearable punishment and torture and pain and agony for 12 years. She reaches out and she touches the tassel and she's healed. Christ's purity covers her impurity. And Christ's righteousness covers her unrighteousness. His holiness is given to her. And all that she has lost in that one moment is restored. Her health. She can now return to a home and family. She can meet with her friends again. She can go to church. And so as this woman reaches out in her desperate state, as she reaches out and she touches Jesus, Jesus waits. He stops. This woman had touched him. Jairus, come on, Jesus. Come on. My daughter's at the point of death. Please don't wait. Jairus is impatient. And then Jesus asks, well, who touched me? And the disciples remember, (laughs) you ask who touched you? Are you serious? Look at all these people around you. And then the Bible tells us, but the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. And how much of the truth did she tell him? The whole truth, my friends, 12 years of truth. Can you imagine Jairus? Please. And she just tells the story. 12 years of suffering. 12 years of agony. 12 years of isolation. She tells the lot. She tells the lot. The whole truth. She doesn't leave one item out. She just unloads the lot. And Jairus is standing there. Please, let's go. And Jesus waits and he listens to every last word. And after she had shared the whole truth, he then says the most beautiful thing. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. Now listen, friends. This woman, she's a nobody. She's a nobody. She's living on the fringes of society. The Bible doesn't even give her name. She's living on the fringes of society. She's an outcast. We don't even know her name. She's a nobody. But Jesus calls her daughter. Jesus calls her daughter. Friends, you notice what happens? She's not only healed, she's not only restored, but now she has a relationship with Jesus and she's part of his family. 
because she's covered by his righteousness. She's made whole. She's alive again. But friends, here's the flip side. While Jesus calls her daughter, and while he's giving her life and welcoming her into his family, Jairus is desperate about his daughter who is losing her life. So why did Jesus stop? Why did he wait? It wasn't for the woman's sake because she was, she was, all, sorry, she was already healed. Correct? She touched the garment. She touched the tassel. So Jesus didn't stop for her. He stopped For Jairus' sake. You see, friends, Jesus already knew that at the house of Jairus, that little girl lay dead. He knew the messengers were preparing to tell Jairus this terrible, terrible news. And he knew the suffering and the pain that Jairus was about to experience as the messengers came and told him the terrible news. Jesus stopped for Jairus. You see, friends, Jesus waited in order to lead Jairus to to an attitude where it would be possible for him to believe even when the news came that it was too late that his daughter was dead. So picture the scene, friends. Jesus is on his way to the house of Jairus to heal his daughter. And on the way, he heals a woman who's been sick for 12 years. And he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. What is faith? What's another... Not a theological, just let's talk about this in day-to-day terms. What does it mean to have faith in something? To what? To believe. To believe. To trust. And so Jesus says to this woman in the hearing of Jairus, who's impatient, and Jesus knows that soon he's going to get this, he's going to get this terrible, terrible news, this crushing news that his daughter is dead. So Jesus wants to prepare Jairus. And so he says to the woman, while Jairus is impatient but listening, he says, daughter, your faith, your belief, it's made you well. Go in peace. And while Jesus is saying to this woman, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace, the messengers come to Jairus and they say, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the master? Why trouble the teacher any further. And then Jesus turns to Jairus and he says what many would have thought the most inappropriate thing. He says, Jairus, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. Only believe. What a, a weird thing to say to someone who has just lost his only daughter. Don't be afraid. Only believe. How could Jairus possibly believe what Jesus said? On what basis could he believe? Well, right there beside him was the woman. The woman. And something remarkable had happened to her. There was the evidence right there beside him. There was the evidence. There was the reason to believe. He'd seen it with his own eyes. And so when Jesus said to the woman, daughter, your faith or your belief has made you a whole go in peace. Now he says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. Like the woman. The woman who was just being healed of 12 years of agony and suffering. And just believe. You see, friends, there was a method, a purpose in Jesus waiting, stopping. There's always a meaning in his delay. Oh, yes, we get impatient when he doesn't answer our prayers the way we think he should. But you know, friends, that's human. It's human to say, this is the way it's got to be done. I know. But when we say that, we're actually saying we know more than God. We know better than God. And so he delays, and friends, out of the delay comes help. Out of the darkness comes light. It's always so with Jesus. All we must do is believe. The King James Version, as I mentioned earlier, I want to read you what it says. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood, 12 years, came in the press behind and touched his gum. You notice it says she had an issue of blood. I know there are many of us here today who have issues. Not an issue of blood, but we have issues that we are struggling with, that we are dealing with. Issues that are often about to crush us. My friend, you might be facing an issue at work, a difficulty, a challenge, and you might know how to deal with it. You might be facing an issue at home, your relationships, your family situation. You might be facing issues there. You might be facing health issues. You might be facing spiritual issues. My friend, take courage. Whatever issue you are facing, God is able to help. If you'll but reach out in faith and touch the tassel on his garment he will stop whatever he's doing as he runs this universe as he keeps the planet spinning in space as he keeps things happening as they should in this vast universe 
If you'll touch the tassel of his garment, he'll stop. And he'll hear your whole story. And he will say to you, son, daughter, go in peace. I'm making you well. He can solve any issue, any problem. My friends, we serve a wonderful Jesus who's prepared to wait. And even though in our struggle we might take a long time to tell the whole story, He stops and He waits because He's got time for you. You are His son. You are His daughter. And one day soon, He's coming back to take you home, to live with His family forever. May God bless you. This message was made available by Fountain in the City. For more resources like this, visit fountaininthecity.com.au.
sang the hem of his garment. Coming up next, the Hamilton family will sing The Father Looks on Me.
Academy will now sing The Savior is Waiting. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you. Time. 
compiled by Remnant Publications. The book, Get Ready for a Miracle, recounts true stories that prove that when we step out in faith, God displays his power in undeniable ways. Here is our reader, Koval Smith. This story is entitled, Katie's Canadian Passport. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This story may not fit under the heading Unbelievable Donations, but it is still unbelievable. This story has been playing out for the last four years and ten months now. Most of you know that we adopted Katie when she was just a month old from Fiji. I will briefly tell you the background. Jackie had been bugging me for years about having another child, but I kept saying that we already have two kids, Cassandra and Kyle. At the time I was thinking, the two we have are already halfway, that's eight and nine years old, to being able to leave home. So why would we start all over again with the late nights, the feedings, the dressing and the bathing? I was thinking like a man, mind you, not a mother. Jackie just kept talking about having another kid. So I thought about it more and said to myself, she really must want this because she has never stopped talking about it after all these years. Who am I to keep that joy from her? Then one day, almost five years ago, I said, OK, I can see you really want this, but since I've had a vasectomy, let us see if we can adopt. Maybe even a baby from Fiji, as we were and still are doing a lot of humanitarian work in the islands of the South Pacific. Therefore, I said, if it is meant to be, it will happen, and I am okay with it if it does. Little did I know what I had just said. This part of the story is beyond human explanation. The next day, as we were sitting in a restaurant in our town, eating lunch, my cell phone rang. I answered it and a woman we know in Fiji said, Ray, I am calling you because a friend of mine is looking after a young girl who is unmarried and just gave birth to a baby girl. And we want to know if you would be able to take the baby. With tears welling up in my eyes, I handed Jackie the phone and watched the tears run down her cheeks and the joy spread across her face. She said, just a minute, covered the mouthpiece and said to me, are you sure? I said, I am sure. I was thinking to myself, if I say no, maybe lightning would come from heaven and strike me on the spot. Needless to say, we all sat there in the restaurant, hugged and wept at what had just happened. So Jackie got on an airplane for Fiji to get our new baby. I cannot even begin to write what Jackie went through while she was there. It was a month of intense emotions. Days filled with joy 
and days filled with sorrow. Soon after Jackie arrived there, she found out that only Australia has adoption agreements in place with Fiji, and as Canadians, we would not be able to adopt. However, after a month of seeing social workers and various other government people, the Chief Magistrate of Fiji signed and finalised the adoption for us. They issued a birth certificate for Katie, putting down that Jackie was the birth mother and I was the birth father. They also issued a Fijian passport, which showed Katie's last name as ours. Brosuk. Jackie returned to Canada with Katie, and we started the long process of making her a Canadian citizen. It has been a long, trying four years. We have been told so many different things, like the adoption is not legal and is not recognised by the Canadian government, so you must take her back to Fiji and start the adoption process all over again from Canada. I told them there was no way I was going to take her back. Besides, according to Canadian law, it was not possible to adopt a Fijian child. I said they would have to come to my house and arrest us all if they were going to try to deport her. So we just kept filling out forms and trying to see if the Canadian government would finally find a way to make her a citizen. We were going to Africa and found out that Canadians can travel the world abroad without visas, but Fijians cannot. And Katie was still a Fijian. The Canadian government just kept telling us that it was an unusual case that they didn't know how to handle and they were not sure when or if Katie would become a Canadian. I went to the Canadian passport office to see if they would give her a temporary passport as she does have a Canadian landed immigrant card. They looked over all the papers and said, yes, but we must have proof of travel. Then we can issue a temporary passport. So I ran and bought $8,500 worth of tickets and showed it to the passport office. They gave me a receipt and said, next week, come and pick up Katie's passport. The next week, when I went to get her passport, they said they had made a mistake and would not be able to give her a passport because they didn't see anything showing that she was adopted. We looked at the Fijian birth certificate and as it had you as their birth parents, we assumed she was Canadian. But since she is not yet a Canadian, we cannot issue her a passport. I was standing there thinking that those people were crazy. I had told them the whole story. How could they not know she was adopted? They had the adoption papers and most of all, Jackie, Katie and I were in their office only the week before. They would have to be dumb and blind not to see that we were not really the birth parents. I just felt sick. What were we going to do now? We were just about to go on the trip of a lifetime. I wanted my kids to be able to experience Africa and the joys of helping the poor. It was something I wanted to teach and share with my kids. Now this roadblock. I started thinking about what we could do 
Maybe Katie could travel on her Fijian passport, but that would require visas for every country we were travelling to or through. I decided to call the South African consulate, the Swaziland consulate and the British consulate to see if I could get her visas. The South African consulate said one week. The British said they could do it in one day, but only after we had gotten the South African one. Swaziland said we needed to send it to Washington DC and it would take 10 days. I knew we had enough time to get the South African one and the British one, but not the Swaziland one. So I decided to go ahead with it anyway. And we would just wing it at the Swaziland border when we got there. The day I was flying down to Camp Darfur in Los Angeles, California, I stopped to pick up Cassandra's and Kyle's new Canadian passports in Vancouver. When I gave the receipts to the officer, I mistakenly handed the receipt they had given me for Katie's passport too. So I reached out to take it back. When the officer said, what's that? I told him that they were going to give me a passport for Katie, but they had changed their mind. So it was no longer any good. He looked at me for a bit and then said, wait, I will get my supervisor. The supervisor came and asked what was wrong. I replied, nothing. I'm just here to pick up two passports for my two older kids. He asked, what is this third receipt for? I said, it's a long story, but I will try and explain it as best I can. After listening intently, he said, I will call Citizenship Canada and see what I can do. I laughed and said, thanks, but I've been dealing with this for four years now and Citizenship Canada told me that it will be at least another 15 months before they will decide if Katie can become a Canadian or not. He said, leave everything with me and I will see what I can do. I left there fully expecting to receive a call from him saying what all the rest had said, that he didn't realise Katie was adopted and there was nothing he could do at the time. Well, on Friday morning of that week, he called me back and said, I have good news. I can issue Katie a passport by next Thursday. That was only three days before we were leaving. And he continued, I have even better news. I can only do this if she is a Canadian citizen. And guess what? I have a letter in my office stating that she was made a Canadian citizen yesterday. You will receive her Canadian citizen card in the mail. If you have the card when you come in on Thursday, I will issue a full five-year Canadian passport. If you do not receive the card in time, I will issue a one-year temporary Canadian passport. I thanked him repeatedly until he said, it's okay, it's okay, just be here on Thursday for the passport. So, Katie is now a Canadian citizen. I called to tell Jackie, and Katie was in the bathtub listening. She started to shout for joy. I think she knew in her little mind that something was happening. With all the visits to the offices, she knew that this passport thing 
was something important. A reflection associated with this story comes from Ministry of Healing, page 226. And God hears prayer. Christ has said, If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Again, he says, If any man serve me, him will my Father honour. John 14, verse 14, and John 12, verse 26. If we live according to his word, every precious promise he has given will be fulfilled to us. We are undeserving of his mercy, but as we give ourselves to him, he receives us. He will work for and through those who follow him. Katie's Canadian passport was submitted by The Bright Side. You've been listening to the book reading program by 3ABN Australia Radio, featuring Get Ready for a Miracle. For more information about this book, visit remnantpublications.com. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.